No? All right. We will get some more out of it. We're going to squeeze chapter 12 and see what kind of information we can gather together. So before we do that, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. God, we thank you once again that you've given us your word. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to better understand it. We thank you for the fact that you have adopted us into your family, that though we were dead in our trespasses and sin, you have redeemed us and you have made us your own. And to those who believe in you, who call upon your name, we can be called children of God and we thank you for that. Help us to realize the the gravity of that, that um, we are not by nature your children, but we have been brought into your family. God, that is a, a big deal. Um, want to remember the, the Howard adoption to um, God, I would just pray that you would bring that, that right baby into their home and that you'd be preparing the mother and um, all the situations surrounding that. God, I pray for this body and the things that are going on in this body and the people that are hurting, the people that are in need, um, that we would come together and we would love on each other and um, that your name would be glorified in that. We pray this in your name. Amen. All righty. I don't know if I'm at liberty to say anything, but I'm going to anyway. Um, to get a really bad look real soon. But um, Renee's husband, Brad, passed away today. And yeah, that's been a, a long struggle, a long battle. And so we need to remember her in prayer and hold her up as our sister and encourage her and do what we can to to be supporting her. Um, Remember other people that may be hurting in maybe less ways, just different ways. And we need to come together as a a body and love on one another. All right, so Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read the first five verses. Acts chapter 12, 1 through 5. Now about that time, Herod the king... Again, that is uh, Herod Agrippa I, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. When he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him. He put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. All right, so looking at those first five verses, staying in the text, how do we know um, what the motivation of Herod was? What was, motiv- what was Herod's motivation in uh, arresting Peter? Yeah, please the Jews. Where do we see that? Verse 3, it pleased the Jews. And where else do we see that? No, not in Deuteronomy. Looking in these five verses, we want to get our answers from the text, just like we should always be aspiring to do. Yeah, he brought them out before the people. 
and the fact that he's waiting until after Passover, that goes back to something that we mentioned last week, um, that he was um, favorable towards the Jews, and he wanted to please the Jews. And so uh, the Jews, uh, most of the time, they refrain from doing these kind of things on Passover, right? Except for when it came to Christ. And so we can see that um, maybe he was trying to please the Jews in doing this, but also it would be distracting. I mean, he wants to bring out the, the apostles and, and kill them publicly in order to please the Jews so that, again, he can please Rome through that. And if you got Passover going on at the same time, then that could be just another distraction, distracting away from the attention that he's trying to get from um, killing Peter. He already killed James. Now he's going after the, the big guy, the top gun, and he wants to take out Peter as well. And so um, one reason that he may have waited until the Passover is so that he could make the most of this opportunity and get the most bang for his buck, so to speak. In verse 5, it says that Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. That's out of the, the NASB. You guys, with other translations, how does it mention the prayer being offered up? Earnestly. Earnestly, all right. So earnestly, fervently. Anybody have anything else? Yeah. So it wasn't just a prayer. It was it was so much more than what we could imagine as it talked about the stretching of the muscles to its very limits. Yeah. Yeah, you see the, the stress that it's it's putting on them. Um, so yeah, earnestly, fervently, as as to stretch a muscle to its limits. Uh, strenuous, and so we can see the the passion that is going into Peter and to the, the rest of the body, into putting in the prayers for other saints. That it wasn't just something that was done flippantly, not just a, an afterthought. But these guys, they were fervently gathered together praying for for Peter, for their brother in Christ. Um, turn with me to First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two, and I'm going to read the first two verses talking about our call to intercession and to this kind of fervent prayer, to this earnest prayer, um, strenuously remembering each other as stretching a muscle to the breaking point. You're going to pop a vein or something. I don't know what the, the medical term is. I'm sure Mike could tell you, but it can't be healthy to to be stretching that much. But when it comes to prayer, I don't think you can, you can overpray, right? So 2 Timothy, oh, no, I'm supposed to be in 1 Timothy. I just turned to 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2. 
says, First of all then, I, Paul, urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of who? All men. Then it goes on and says, For kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And then if we jump down, um, I'll just keep reading through verse 5. And we'll see the, the intercession of, of Christ. So yes, we are to intercede for, for brothers. We are to pray on behalf of um, brothers and sisters in Christ. But we are to do that through Christ. So verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. He is our intercessor. He is the one who goes before the Father with the prayer that that we have that we offer up. Um, Also, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8 and verse 33 and 34. It says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. So again, just like these faithful saints who are gathered together praying for Peter, we as believers in Christ were to be praying, offering prayers and intercessions, thanksgiving for all men, especially for those who are in authority, um, especially for the household of the saints. And we are to do so through the, the media, mediatory intercession of Christ. All right, back in Acts. Before we move on to the next section, any other thoughts or questions on 1 through 5? Again, what a trip for Peter to once again be be locked up. Last week we went through and we looked at how he was locked up in chapter 4, in chapter 5, how Stephen was martyred in chapter 7. Um, chapter 9, we saw Paul himself going out and hunting down all the Christians with the desire to, to murder them. He had a, a murderous intention in his heart. And this is just continuing on. And the, the persecution is increasing and increasing. And all the more, those who are coming to the Lord are increasing. It's not tampering the, the believers coming to faith in Christ, which is pretty amazing. All right, verses 6 through 10. Will somebody read that for us, please? All right. Yeah, Acts 12, 6 through 10.
So this has happened before. Um, he was sprung from, from prison. I think that was chapter 5 with the rest of the apostles. And what did they do there when they left the prison? They just went right back out to the temple and they began preaching again, right? And then they got called back in and, and they were furious. They were upset. They didn't know where they were and they, they let them have it. At that time, they let them go with a, a flogging, a beating. Um, here, verses 6 through 10, in the text, so be looking down in your Bible for the answer. Uh, what is Peter's role in this prison escape? Yeah. Yeah, verse six, 6 says that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Um, again, locked up, um, arrested by this guy who just killed James. Um, I'm sure that he knows, okay, well, after Passover is done, I'm done. Um, and he's just out cold sleeping, right? Even when the, the angel comes in, what does the light, it says that there was a light. So the angel showed up, and he's just radiating the, the glory that he's gotten off of God himself, right? Just like Moses did when he was looking at God. And so he's there, and he's shining and beaming, and Peter's still sleeping away. And so what did the angel do? Yeah, he had to hit him in the side. Wake up, dude. Let's get out of here. Um, he was sleeping away. So, again, how does that explain to us his role in this prison break. What's that? He's a deep sleeper, yeah? I'd be at peace at what happened to me if I was being let out of prison, right? But even before that, yeah, he was, he was at peace. He had uh, settled in his heart. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to die, and, and that's fine. Um, anything else? James. Yep. Uh, yes. I would be. Yep. Yeah, he wasn't stressed out at all. And then after the angel came and hit him in the side and woke him up, he was just along for the ride, right? He was just following after the angel. He didn't have any elaborate plan or any, you know, devilish scheme to get out of this prison. He, he was just following along. And in fact, he didn't even know that it was real. He thought it was a vision. So he had no active role in getting himself out of that prison. That was all of God through this angel that God had sent to him. And he was just along for the ride. And um, again, he wasn't actively trying to escape. I'm going to turn over to Peter's epistle, his first epistle. So First Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read a little bit about his take on persecution. So First Peter 2, and I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 
you think Herod would qualify as being unreasonable? Probably. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And in 19 he says, For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. And then he goes on to talk about um, how if you suffer for something that you should be suffering for, then that's of no benefit to you. But he says, if you're suffering unjustly, um, then you could have a good conscience towards God when you bear up under those sorrows. And again, he was locked up now for at least a third time. I think it was a fourth time that he's locked up here. And he's doing that. He's exemplifying what it means to suffer persecution with patience. Um, even under those who are unreasonable. A couple chapters over in chapter 4. Will somebody read verses 12 through 16, if you're there with me? First Peter 4, 12 through 16. Yeah, First Peter 4, verse 12 through 16. Yeah, thanks. All right. So again, there he qualifies it. Well, if you're suffering for something dumb that you're doing, then you deserve that. I think three, four times throughout that epistle, he mentions that. But he says, if you're suffering for Christ, what are we to do? Keep on rejoicing, right? Um, what an example of that. Peter, who actually went through that, is, is saying that. I mean, if, if somebody else who's living up on the, the east side, and you know, they never had a so much as a, um, you know, a, a twisted ankle or something. They say that, so what? But this is Peter saying, rejoice when you're suffering under persecution. All right, back in Acts chapter 12. Let's look at verses 11 through 17. When Peter came to himself after the angel departed, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, are you out of your mind? Or you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to him with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And then he left, and he went to another place. 
Alright, so he gets out of prison, the angel leaves, and immediately he realizes, oh, dude, that's not a dream. I'm not just in some kind of trance. Remember, he was just a couple chapters ago in chapter 10. He saw this sheet come down. He saw the, all these animals. So he's been there before. He's had these kind of weird, I, I imagine, they're like weird out-of-body vision experiences. But he realizes, well, that's not what's going on. I'm actually out of prison. And now I got people that are going to be looking after me and coming after me. And so he goes to... Uh, this house to Mary's house. Mary is the mother of our good friend John Mark, who went, or he's going to go rather, um, from this point still future, with Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. Uh, This is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and he's going to his mom's house. And in that day, they didn't have these churches that they could go to. They didn't have these big meeting gathering places, so they would go to people's houses, and for a while in the early church, they were just meeting in people's houses. And of course, you know, you get a, a group that's bigger than three, four, five, you're going to need some space to, to gather and to meet, and so they wouldn't just go to anybody's house. They'd go to the bigger houses, to the wealthy people in the church. They would host these prayer meetings or these church services, and so we know that this Mary comes from some money. John Mark comes from some money. He's got a a bigger house that's capable of housing all these people to get together and to meet so they can pray fervently for the Apostle Peter. Um, We also know that John Mark's cousin, who is who? Barnabas. He seems like he may have come from some money too, because at the end of chapter 4, He was one of the first that's mentioned as selling his house and giving all the proceeds to the church so they could be spread around the the different people. So um, here in verse 11, it says, Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and he has rescued me from who? From Herod and also all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people were expecting. So again, we see that Herod and the Jewish people, they have the same expectation. They have the same desire to see that Peter and this movement, the way the the church is really stomped out. Um, Again, going back to Acts 4, a verse that we referenced last week. Um, Verse 27 says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, a different Herod, but Herod nonetheless, and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And then 28 says, To do whatever your hand and your purpose is predestined to occur. So God is the one behind the scenes. It's his purpose, his plan. He's the one predestining, pulling the strings, but he's using um, the motivations of Herod, um, Herod Antipas, and Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews. So again, we see the Jews are, they're here, and they're, they're meddling and wanting this movement to be done away with. Yes. No, Herod the Great was the one who was chasing after Jesus clear back in the beginning of Matthew and 
yeah, when he was a baby. Yeah, he's the one who ordered that the, the baby boys be, be put to death. Uh, but Herod Antipas was the one who put him to death, also the one who had John the Baptist put to death. All right. Um, verse 17. Why do you suppose that Peter would have this reported to, to James and to the other disciples, to the other brothers? Yeah. Yeah, an encouragement, right? Again, he's locked up. They've been praying for him, and he wants them to know, yes, I'm out. So, encouragement. Any other reasons that he might want them to know? He's on the ground. What's that? He's on the ground. He needs some, some help, maybe. Yeah. He's getting ready to jet, right? This is about the last that we see of, of Peter. He pops up back again in chapter 15, but he's about to be on the run. And so... Let, let the big guys know, let everybody know, I'm out, but I'm on the run. And also, we don't know how long he was locked up. We don't know how far that word had spread that he was even locked up in the first place. So just let them know, hey, it's, it's gone up a notch. It's pretty serious. They're, they're coming after me. They've killed James. Uh, but praise the Lord, by his strength, by his mighty power, he has, he's broke me out, and now I'm on the run. So big things going on and he wants to to let people know that that God is moving and what's gone on and then at the end of 17 it says then he left and he went to another place so again we've seen over and over again that after he gets locked up what does he do he he sleeps this time right but after, after he gets locked up and he gets out, he goes back and he starts preaching again, right? All right, somebody else talk for a minute. I got to sneeze. <laughs> Maybe not. Yes. Yeah, so he becomes a, a leader in the church after the resurrection. So before that, remember, he and the rest of his other half-brothers were unbelievers, but then he becomes a, a leader in the church, and he's going to head up this council at Jerusalem here in a couple chapters, and he really becomes um, a, a pillar in the church. All right, so um, he goes off. Whenever he gets locked up and he gets out of jail, he goes back and he starts to preach right again. Um, here, he gets locked up, he gets out, and he's, he's on the loose. He says, well, I'm I'm out of here. It says that he left um, to another place. It doesn't specify the other place because when Luke's writing this, he doesn't want to get anybody in trouble. He doesn't, we don't know if maybe um, Peter's still there um, or if the authorities who could get a hold of this letter would know, okay, well, he went to such and such a place and these are the Christians we know in this area, the people who could be aiding and abetting this fugitive. And so he kind of keeps it on the DL. He just says that he left to another place. But one thing I want to bring up, uh, a passage that I've been hearing a lot lately um, with this whole COVID thing going on, is in First Peter, back in First Peter chapter 2. In verses 13 and 14, we see Peter's words talking about submitting to authority. Um, listening to a lot of Christian radio and 
um, Christian news. Been hearing a lot about 1 Peter chapter 2, a lot about Romans 13, and we need to submit to the government. And what does that mean? How do we uh, parse and interpret that? And Peter here um, gives some, some guidelines on how we are to submit to the government. And I want to read them for you and then get your thoughts on how we balance Peter's direct command to say you need to submit to authority, but then his practice in going out and preaching continually and going out and um, just dipping out of town. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So again, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or to one in authority. How do we balance these ideas between what Peter says and what we see Peter do in Acts? Yeah. 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 Again, he wasn't actively trying to get himself out, right? And in each of the previous jailbreaks um, or releases, we see that same thing—that he's not trying to break out. We didn't see that with with James; that um, he was putting up a fight, right? Well, yeah. Mike, then Andy. Recognizing there's a, a higher authority than just a government and submitting to that higher authority and before we submit to the government authorities, which are deacons and are servants and uh, have a ministry to us. Andy. Judge whether 
Yeah. Yeah, when when those two come to a head, the authority of God and the authority of man, we obey God rather than men. Um, differentiating between when that happens and to what degree that happens isn't always quite as easy. Um, the same passage. Let's go back and we always want to get context when we read, right? But let's look at verses 11 and 12. Right before he tells us to submit to the Lord. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts with which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the ultimate goal is to glorify God, to, to be a light, to be an example for the Gentiles. And, and he says one way in which we can do that is by submitting to these authorities that, that God has placed over us. So we're not called to, um, to be disobedient in any kind of moral matter or civil matter. Um, but we are called to be an example for the glory of God. All right. Um, let's jump back to Acts 12. Any other thoughts, comments up to this point? Up through verse 17. Peter just broke out. He was led by an angel. Shows up at Rhoda's house. Or Rhoda's a servant. Mary's house. Yes. What is meant by the people in the prayer meeting saying his angel? Well, they were just weird people, and they thought he had an angel. Um, they're really borrowing that from some random Jewish theology that would believe that each individual person has an angel. Um, yeah. Matthew, they'll use Matthew 18, some verse in 18. Is it 18 1? 1810. Jesus speaking there, he wasn't from false No. I don't think he was talking about personal angels necessarily. And, and so what is meant by their angels in Matthew 18 then? Um, just angels. Yeah, angels that look over them. It's not like a one-to-one angel. Like Rex has his angel, Ellie has her angel. Um, we each have our angel. It doesn't say that in Matthew 18. But people can take that and extra- extrapolate and just add isogetically that, oh, well, we each have our own angel. And in some Jewish thought, it was that this angel could manifest itself and appear like you. And so these Christians, again, were borrowing from this poor theology and saying, well, that must be his angel. It's not him. It's just a, a manifestation of this spirit who looks out after him. But, Yeah, they just kind of left him out there for a minute, right? Rhoda just got so caught up, and she went and told him. Yeah. And we, we really see their, um, they, they kind of get thrown under the bus in a lot of commentaries, a lot of preaching, because they were praying. They were praying fervently, remember? Um, stretching that muscle to the point of, of tension, to his breaking point. But then God answers their prayer in a very real way. And Peter shows up and he's knocking on the door and saying, no, it can't be Peter. He's locked up. We're in here praying for Peter because he's in prison. What do you, it's not Peter. It must be his angel. And so, yeah, they were praying, um, but maybe not trusting to the degree that they should have been. I don't, I don't know that it is today, but um, in this day, 
Yes. 18.10. I'll read it for you real quick. Matthew 18.10 says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so the fact that it says their angels um, has caused some people to think that each person has their own guardian angel. Um, also, Hebrews 1.14 says, this whole chapter is talking about angels, how Christ is superior to angels. And at the end, the author says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? And so that's more general, right? More vague. The angels, like as a, a group, are going out and their whole purpose is to be ministering spirits to those who are going to inherit salvation to the believers, to the church. Remember, they, they don't know what it is to be saved. They don't know what it is to be redeemed. So they're looking into things that they long to understand and they're ministering to us. But that doesn't mean on a one-to-one individual basis that we each have our own guardian angels. Yeah, it's an ongoing ministry of the angels, so they are ministering to the church today. So uh, we look at Ephesians 6, and we see that we are actively involved in spiritual warfare, and we, we fail to recognize that so often. And that's not just uh, a defensive position that we need to take. Like, yes, we need to realize that Satan is firing his flaming arrows after us, and we need to put on the full armor of God, but we have... Uh, defenses ourselves in the angels who are ministering to us and uh, fighting on behalf of their creator. All right. Back in Acts chapter 12, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. So, of course, they're tripping, right? This guy is gone. Nobody knows where he went. It seems like uh, an understatement to say no among the soldiers. Verse 19, when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. That was common practice of the day. Roman law would require that any guard who let a prisoner free, he was to pay the, the price that that prisoner was to get. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and he was spending time there. So he seems like he just kind of goes on vacation. He doesn't want to sit there. He doesn't want to deal with it. Peter's gone. Nobody knows where he's at. And so he's just going down to to Caesarea to spend some time there. Verse 20. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord, they came to him. And having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. So... Tyre and Sidon, these are two smaller cities that are a little bit north in uh, Phoenicia, and they have this kind of symbiotic, is that the right word? Am I just making stuff up right now? Symbiotic relationship? Symbiotic. Symbiotic. Thank you. Um, I knew I was making stuff up. Symbiotic relationship. Um, and they, it was mutually beneficial, but they... It, the scales were slightly tipped more in the favor of Galilee. Galilee was more of a, a metropolis-type area where they were um, benefiting from their, their produce and everything that they were doing, and they were being fed by, by Galilee. And so 
they had some kind of issue with uh, King Herod, and they knew this guy, Blastus, who was the king's chamberlain. He was like his, his housemate, his assistant, his treasurer, and he kind of acted as this mediator between these people from Tyre and Sidon and King Herod himself. And he was getting them together so they could figure out this whole food situation and how they were going to work together. Verse 21 says, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Yeah, pretty disgusting, right? Um yeah, so, so Herod shows up. Um, remember, this is a, an evil, wicked man, just like the rest of the Herods, but he was really into himself. Remember, he had all these buddies who were in high places in Rome, and he was really concerned with being all buddy-buddy with the Romans. And so he was showing up, and he, this was a, a kind of ceremony or a feast that he was putting on, and um, historians tell us that he was doing it in the honor of, of Claudius, and I think it was Claudius. Let me check my notes. Um, of somebody else who was not himself, some Roman guy. Yes, Claudius, the, the Roman emperor. And so he couldn't just put on a, a show in his own honor. So he did it in, in Claudius's honor for the first day. But the second day was all about Herod. And he was standing up and he was in his royal apparel. Uh, it says here, yeah, just royal apparel. And... Josephus tells us that he actually had silver that was stitched into his robe. And so he would orchestrate it so that he would go out right when the sun was beaming. And he had his silver robe on. He was actually shining and and gleaming. And people would look at him and they say, man, this isn't just a man. This is a God who is speaking to us. And remember, they're they're trying to get on his good side too. They want something from him. And so they're, they're rubbing his ego a little bit. But he is eating it all up. That's what he is all about. Um, in Josephus, he writes, and he adds to the story a little bit. And remember, this is extra biblical. But he tells us that he had a, a golden eagle attached to the, the doorway of the temple. And that that was a, a thing that he had recently done. And then a bunch of Jewish people being Jewish by nature and realizing this is idolatrous, this is not okay, they broke in and they tore down this golden eagle. And it says that they, I don't really, I have a hard time envisioning how this would work, but they got up on the temple and they were kind of repelling down. And then they took axes and they chopped off this golden eagle. And that Herod captured 40 of these men. And he was really upset with them, obviously, for going in, taking down this idolatrous eagle that he just put up and he was getting ready to put him to death and um, this is kind of intertwined with all of this with this same story I will read to you from Josephus's account about this illness that took the life of Herod it says after this referring back to that whole golden eagle weird situation it says after this the 
distemper seized upon his whole body and greatly disordered all its parts with various symptoms. For there was a gentle fever upon him and an intolerable itching over all the surfaces of his body and continual pains in his colon and dropsical tumors about his feet and an inflammation of the abdomen and the putrefaction of his privy member that produced worms. Besides which, he had a difficulty of breathing upon him and could not breathe, but when he sat upright and had a convulsion of all his members. And then he goes on, he says that before he died, five days later, um, that he lost his eyesight and um, just other ailments that he continued to have. And it seems like a, a pretty wicked, nasty type thing that he was struck with immediately by this angel. Uh, it's kind of interesting, this word here is the same one that we have back in verse 7 when the angel came and he struck Peter on the side. And now he's striking Herod with this illness that is going to take his life. Um, and all because he didn't denounce a praise that he got from these people who were saying, the voice of a God and not a man. And what do we know from Isaiah 42.8 about God's glory? He's not going to share it with anybody, right? And so you stand up and you accept that praise, that worship, and he's not going to have that at all. He is all about his glory and he will share it with nobody else. Does God share his glory with Jesus? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, He shares his glory with no one. Jesus is God, right? The second person of of God. All right. Um, Let's look back really quickly at the first verse in this chapter. So Acts 12.1 says, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. How did this end up for Herod? What's that? He got treated properly, right? So he persecuted the church, and God exercised his judgment on Herod. He responded to that persecution in just judgment. Now, in the last verse of this chapter, we see another murderous persecutor brought up again. It says, And Barnabas and Saul, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. And really, that's setting us up for chapter 13. But in this last verse of chapter 12, we see Paul, who again, we're reminded back in chapter 9, he was persecuting the church. But his persecution wasn't responded to with just judgment. His persecution was responded to with kindness and mercy and forgiveness. And he lifted him up instead of um, striking him with this wicked-sounding illness that... um, that Josephus described for us. In Galatians, Paul talks about how God has set him apart and, and rescued him. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and following. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and tried to destroy it. That's who he was. He was a murderous persecutor of the church. 
and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Verse 15, but when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, had called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So he goes from persecuting the church to preaching among the Gentiles because it is God who called him even while he was in his mother's womb. Um, Two different men persecuted the church and God handled them in completely different ways. Um, One, he he judged harshly. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of destruction. But Paul, on the other hand, he was set apart before time began for this, this purpose of being an apostle to the Gentiles. And even though he ended up persecuting the church for a time, God knew that was going to happen. God still used him for his glory, the glory that he's not going to share with anybody else, the glory that Herod Agrippa has, has no right to, no claim to, and ultimately cost him his life. What do you guys think of Acts chapter 12? It's quite a story, right? To be sprung from prison like that, um, to see the, the fervent prayer of the saints, that's a, a, a challenging encouragement. It's really um, something that, that should test us more and cause us to, to look at ourselves and ask, are we praying fervently for each other like that? Um, and then again, to see the, the persecution that the church took and continued to grow and continued to thrive because it is true, because God is the one who is building his church. Anything else on chapter 12 before we wrap up? All righty, let's pray. Oh, Melissa's got something. Okay. Okay. So Peyton and MK in Pleasant Grove? No. What is that? Down Mount south? Pleasant. Mount Pleasant. Thank you. I knew Pleasant Grove wasn't right. Mount Pleasant. All right. God, we do thank you for your church once again. We thank you for the fact that you build it. Thank you for the fact that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, we thank you for uh, the men that you care